chapter 5, numbers, and we read from just verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper and every one that hath an, hath an issue and whosoever is defiled by the dead. Both male and female shall be put out, without the camp shall ye put them, that they defile not their camps in the midst whereof I dwell. And the children of Israel did so, and put them out without the camp. As the Lord spake unto Moses, so did the children of Israel. That's all we read for the moment. Returning to this chapter 5, having looked at what had gone on before in chapter 7 last week about the various rituals and the offerings at the dedication of the tabernacle. It is strange how often the, the message of Israel was the same, that God gave the message to Israel to separate themselves from evil. Over and over again it's coming to our attention how God says separate evil away from you. Keep away from it. You know, I, I was accused this week of being bigoted. A woman came in the shop, a dear friend actually, and she says, people will call you a bigot. Well, I don't go looking for people calling me bigot. I, I never go out looking for arguments, you know, or opposition. I don't court it. But if, if being a bigot means standing by the word of God, I said to her, yes, I probably am a bigot. Because we have to be separate from sin. It's, a, it's just like that. The conversation had been in relation to joining up with other churches who were having missions and various things. And who were mixing with ecumenical organizations. But when the principle of the word of God is concerned, we cannot mix the profane and the holy. I keep on about this, I know. This young, this lady was prepared to, to say about joining in with these ecumenical things and about the, the virtues of the Roman Catholic Church. But you know, the thing is, people don't really understand what these churches teach, and that is the problem. She thought that indulgences and purgatory and all was a thing of the past, that they believed in medieval times. But I'm not going to labor on this, but I told her to go and get the the uh, church's catechism and read it and see what it actually says. You see, we're all prepared, aren't we, to listen to what other people say, but we're not prepared to go and examine the things for ourselves. In verse 1 it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses. The Lord spake unto Moses. People will go and they listen to all the liberal preachers and teachers around, but they won't go back to the scripture and see what the Lord says. And Moses took great heed to what the Lord said. And we should do the same. We have 
the principle to separate ourselves as individuals, to separate ourselves from sin. It's our responsibility as Christians. You see, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Scripture clearly teaches us that. The Holy Spirit dwells within my life as the seal of my redemption. We sang that hymn, I pointed that out to you, about who is on the Lord's side. By thy grand redemption, by thy grace divine, we are on the Lord's side. That is the principle that I am on the Lord's side. That is the principle of why the Holy Spirit dwells within me on the basis of my redemption in Christ Jesus. He's the seal of my indwelling. The, the seal of my indwelling is the Holy Spirit. He put, the God puts that seal on my life that the Holy Spirit indwells within me. The seal is the proof of my redemption in Christ. He's not here in my life as the sanction of my sinful nature. No. That has been condemned in the cross of Jesus Christ. My sinful nature. I enjoy fellowship with the Holy Spirit of God only in proportion as the evil within my life is continually being judged and confessed. That's important. If I want to enjoy fellowship with God and fellowship with the Holy Spirit, I only enjoy that in proportion as I am prepared to confess and get rid of the evil in my life as it is exposed by God's light on my life. We must consistently and continually judge ourselves and put away all that is inconsistent with holy living and the holiness of he who indwells us. That's important. This is our solemn duty and responsibility if we are to enjoy the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit. And that's why he's called the Comforter, because he comes and he comforts us. But we cannot enjoy the comfort of the Holy Spirit while we have sin in our lives. And so, we read these four verses. Let's read them again. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper and every one that hath an issue and whosoever is defiled by the dead both male and female shall ye put out without the camp shall ye put them that they defile not their camps in the midst whereof I dwell God speaking and the children of Israel did so and put them out without the camp as the Lord spake unto Moses, so did the children of Israel. It seems likely that we cannot suppose that they just put all these fellows out into the desert. There was a place where these people were to go, outside the camp. It was founded and based on, on three things, this expulsion of these people, on a physical reason. Lots of these things were contagious and they, 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 they would have affected the rest of the camp. So they were put out on purely physical grounds, gonorrhea and things like that. Leprosy. And there was also a spiritual reason. The reason was the habitation of God was the camp. And he cannot 
abide sin. And they were put out for a spiritual reason. And the camp also is a type of the church. It's, it's a picture of the church. Where nothing that is defiled should enter. And in which nothing that is unholy should be tolerated. As in your life and in my life. In the broader picture of the local church. And in the church of Jesus Christ worldwide. And it is on this picture of it as being the church. A picture of the church that we want to sort of look at this morning. First thing that we want to look at really is to see that when God spoke to Moses he said command command it wasn't something that Moses had a choice in if he was to obey God this was God's command it wasn't just an optional extra that Moses sort of said well God says well if you feel like doing this do it no he says you have to do it you have to do it and you know It'd be a good thing sometimes to go through the, the New Testament, see the many times Paul says, charge, command, order. There are so many things that God says and we treat lightly. But Moses didn't treat this lightly. It was a command from God. And you know the other thing was, <clears throat> it was an instruction to the whole camp. Command the children of Israel. It wasn't just one or two people. The whole camp were was under this command it was not dependent on the personal whims of, of, of any individual you, you wouldn't sort of say well I don't feel like doing it no God said this is my command and the reason the reason was because God dwelt in the camp and he couldn't abide anything which was unclean Anything that had been affected by the dead. We live in a world, before we become Christians, the Bible says we're dead in trespasses and sins. And when we become Christians, we are born again, we're given a new life, we're new creations, we're born again. We're alive in Jesus Christ. And it, he says, I don't want you to be contaminated with, with dead people. Separate yourselves from those who are dead. Now we know that the camp of Israel, the basis of those who were in the camp of Israel, why God had chosen the people in the camp of Israel, was on the basis of redemption. The reason of you being recognized as a member of this, of a local church, or uh, of, of the church of Jesus Christ, is on the basis of redemption. I said last week, I think I said it last week, I... I read an article the other day in a magazine, which I get, and it asked, why is the church failing? Why is the church failing? I, 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 it's not a, a sensible question. You can ask, why is the Methodist church failing? Why is the Anglican church failing? Why are the brethren failing? But the church of Jesus Christ will never fail. Jesus is building his church. And he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It will never fail. It's tantamount to blasphemy, I think, to say that the church of Jesus Christ will fail. It will never fail. If the church of Jesus Christ fails, God fails. And he cannot fail. He is building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But 
what we should maybe say, why are local groups of God's people ineffective and appearing to fail? That, that is the question maybe. Why, why do the local churches, why do they appear to fail? The reason is there is unjudged sin in the camp. You know, Moses had to judge here. He had to judge who he was going to put out of the camp. Now, obviously those who, who say when anything like this comes up, it is not anyone's business to judge sin. That is the work of God. You know, it's the responsibility of you and me in our own private lives to judge sin in our lives. And to get rid of that sin. And as it is our responsibility in our private lives, in our collective lives as a church, it is also our responsibility to, to ensure that there's no sin in the camp. You know, you can imagine if, if we had this attitude, and if an Israelite had this attitude, and he would say, it's not for me to decide who has to be put out of the camp. After all, all these people are my friends and my relations, and uh, they're, they're sinners just like me. It's not my responsibility to decide who to put out of the camp. It doesn't seem fair to put some people out. They all need to be in the camp. You know, that would be a ridiculous situation, wouldn't it? We have not the right to judge. After all, Christ says, judge not that ye be not judged. You've all heard it so many times. Judge not that ye be not judged. So anyone who comes along with a false doctrine, a moral life, or anything like that, you can't say anything about it. Judge not that you be not judged. But, you know, read on what Christ said in verse 15 of Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. How do we recognize them if we can't judge them? How do we recognize a ravening wolf if we can't sort of use our intelligence to judge them? We can only become aware of something if first we judge it to be wrong and in error. Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 12 said, For what have I to do to judge them also which are without? He's saying, those outside the church, we don't judge. We don't judge their lifestyles. We don't judge them because they are outside. They're not living. They're not in the same army. But he goes on to say, But them that are without God judgeth, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. They had a problem in Corinth, and they were leaving that person, not doing anything about it. Paul says, judge that person and put him out. We must examine ourselves, but we must examine those who are within But in this, these chapters here in, in Israel, God gave his authority to Moses and to the Israelites as a whole to go through the camp and put out those who were having these problems, those that had an issue, the lepers, 
and those that have been contaminated by the dead. This is quite solemn really. God will not act in blessing in a local church if there is sin in the camp. Now to look at this a little bit more fully, look at Joshua 7. Joshua chapter 7. We all know this uh, story so well. We know we had this a few weeks ago. We told it to the kids. Achan was in the army of Israel. And Achan was called, his name meant trouble. But he was a soldier in the army of Israel and they attacked Jericho and they were told not to take anything out of Jericho and he saw a goodly Babylonian garment and some gold and he went, ran and took it, ran to his tent, um, dug a hole in his tent, put it in, covered it over with the, the, the mats and that was that. And then the children of Israel were told to go and fight Ai. And Ai was a small town and they were defeated by the people of Ai. And this, this demoralized Joshua and he got down on his knees and prostrated himself before God. And God says, hear what he says. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for Achan the son of Camri, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah took up the accursed thing and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And it goes on to tell there about the children of Israel being beat defeated at Ai. Look at verse 11. Joshua had prayed and God said to him, Get up. Wherefore liest thou upon thy face? And this is the interesting thing. Israel hath sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also. And they have put it even among their own stuff. Achan has sinned. No. Israel has sinned. God recognized the camp of Israel as a unit. Why did he not say Achan has sinned? No, he says Israel has sinned. They have taken the accursed thing. Go on to verse 13. There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. Achan had taken it and God, God says no. The accursed thing is amongst you. you have, Israel has sinned. God regarded the sin of Achan as a sin of the whole camp. That's strange. That's not fair. That's the way God sees it. That's the way God sees it. We are members one of another. Look what it says in verse 12. Neither will I be with you anymore except ye destroy the accursed thing from among you. Isn't that strange? 
God said, there's an accursed thing in the camp. And until you get rid of that, I won't be with you anymore. Just as we, as individuals, must get rid of the accursed things in our own lives, as God challenges us, and we, through the help of the Holy Spirit, He exposes these things, we, we confess them and get rid of them. So in churches, in groups, in fellowships, where sin is up there observed, there must also be a judgment and that accursed thing must be got rid of. It's a principle that is in Scripture. We must get rid of those things which displease God in our own lives and in our fellowships. It's very serious, isn't it? But you know, there's a one, there's a, there's a lovely side to this as well. Go away over to Hosea. Hosea chapter, it comes after Daniel, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Chapter 2 and verse 15. God loves his unfaithful people. That's what this little chapter, this portion of this chapter is about. And he says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. When a sinful nation comes back to God, when Israel came back to God, God says, it's going to be different. When we as individuals confess our sins and come back to God, when we as a fellowship get rid of anything which is not of God, then here's what happens. It's, it's fantastic. As in the days of her youth when she came up out of the land of Egypt. What happened when Israel came out of the land of Egypt? She was redeemed. Israel was redeemed and came up. She had that love for God because she had been redeemed out of all the slavery and sin in Egypt. And there was great excitement and Miriam sang songs and everything was great. You remember when, we, when you became a Christian first? You had that love for God, that freshness. You were excited about what God had done for you. Well, this is what's happening here. It says that God was going to speak comfortably to her and she shall sing as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up out of Egypt. It was all going to be wonderful again. That fellowship which she had with God in those days was going to be renewed within her. And that will apply to you and to me. When we get rid of the sin in our lives, when we get rid of the sin in our fellows, the whole thing is as it was at the start. It's exciting that, isn't it? And it says here, the valley which was called the Valley of Achor. Well, what did the Valley of Achor, that's the Valley of Achor, it's the same. What did that speak to these people? It spoke of judgment, it spoke of defeat at Ai, it spoke of God's judgment against Achan and all that. 
there was a, there was a valley of dread. There was a big heap of stones in that valley, which as they passed it, they were reminded constantly of, oh, that's, that's Achan's family underneath there. That was when we were defeated. But you know, it says here, the valley of Achan is now going to be a door of hope. It's not wonderful. Instead of being a valley of dread, a valley of judgment, it was now going to be a valley of hope. And it will be for you. You'll get back your first love. Go back to Psalm 85. Uh, Psalm 84 and verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of him. It says, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in other translations, your ways are in their hearts. God's ways are in your heart. Blessed is that man, happy is that man, the Bible says. And then it goes on to say, Who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well, the rain also filleth the pools, they go from strength to strength, every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. The other translation says, Passing through the valley of weeping, the valley of Baca is the valley of weeping, they will make it a fountain. The early rain is also, will cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength, appearing in God before Zion. Oh yes, the valley of Achor was going to become a valley of hope. Those who put their strength and trust in God, it says here, the valley of weeping becomes a valley where there is fountains and joy and going from strength to strength. Look at the contrast. The valley of tears becoming a valley of fountains of joy. And you know, to, to people living out in the dry, arid lands, to, to the valley of fountains and joy is wonderful. Oasis in the middle of a drought of a desert. The valley of tears becoming a valley of joy. A valley of pain and judgment becoming a valley of hope. The valley of Acorn. Instead of having a dry, our relationship with God we get back our first love so you know getting back to the time as when you came up out of Egypt I think that's exciting don't we all want that relationship with God well then we must make sure the Bible constantly says examine ourselves examine yourself whether you're still being the faith or not this discipline has to be done in love firmness and with humbleness meekness of spirit only then can we ever hope to get anyone who has strayed back into communion of the church you know going to 1st Corinthians it's all, it's all set out there the principle again like Romans Corinthians 1st Corinthians Go to chapter 12. And verse 12. For as the body is one and, there, and have many members, and all the members of that one body. See, that's the principle. We're all members of one body. Being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit all we are baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free and have 
all been made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, it is therefore not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? It's, it's so logical. He's just putting up really a, quite a, a simple argument here. But now hath God sent the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if there were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. God looks down on the church as one body. And it is up to us as individual members of that body to maintain the purity of that body. And the eye cannot say of the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honourable, upon these we bestow more abundant honour, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honour to that part which lacketh, that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honoured, all the members rejoice with it. But now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. If any member of a church is astray, then the whole church is affected. That is the principle. That is why when we come to the Lord's table, we, we read, don't we, the cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, and we are all partakers of that one bread. You know, we wish that communion with, with each other is unsullied. We wish more importantly that the less communion with our Lord as individuals and with as a fellowship is unsullied. You know I want to read in 1 Corinthians 11 going from verse 23 For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it 
in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. He says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among them, and many sleep. Some have fallen asleep in Christ. But if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the word. Very solemn words. Let every man examine himself. I told you this before. I, my, my office used to be in an old Unitarian church. And I went under that every day. They had that across the, the door as I went into the office every morning. Let every man examine himself open thing going into the office every day to read that. Didn't know, take note of it, but it was there. Another one was that two texts, that every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. That's a good one too. Are you fully persuaded in your own mind that what you believe is the truth of God? Examine yourselves. We're going to break bread. We're going to break bread together. And you know, it's a difficult subject, that, to talk about. But that's what Moses had to do in Israel, to cleanse the camp. It's our duty to cleanse, first of all, examine ourselves. Whether we still be, whether you're strong in the faith, that's what Paul says, and then examine ourselves. As, you come to, as we come to break bread together, examine ourselves. Examine ourselves. We have time of quiet before we break that this morning. But let's, before that, just sing one hymn.